This is Regenerative Skills, the podcast helping you to learn the skills and solutions to create an abundant and connected future. I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher. New Society Publishers is your one-stop shop to level up your skills. These episodes are a great way to get a preview of the fascinating subjects and knowledge from my guests, but if you want to build a deeper understanding and practical skills that will serve you on your regenerative journey, then you should check out their titles, like Coppice Agroforestry, The Book of Nature Connection, Practical No-Till Farming, Wild Plant Culture, and so many more. They've got audio, digital, and hard copy books so that you can choose your favorite format. Find it all now at NewSociety.com. Hey there, everybody, and welcome back. Now, one of the emerging practices of the regenerative workspace is that of citizen science. This covers an infinite range of scientific specialties, but I've especially seen some amazing things come from two areas in the last couple of years. Now, these would be the world of mycology, the study of mushrooms and fungi, and the study of soil. That isn't to say that traditional institutions aren't making advances in these fields as well, but passionate amateurs have also been leading some incredible innovations in these areas. Now, amazingly, at the center of both of these movements, I regularly find my good friend Matt Powers, the author of many well-known volumes, including The Permaculture Student Volumes 1 and 2, Unstoppable Enthusiasm, and now even volumes for children, including the newest The Forgotten Food Forest, which can all be found on his website along with many online courses at thepermaculturestudent.com. But of course, today, we'll be focusing on the cutting edge of soil science and how these new discoveries can help you in a very practical way to improve the health of your soil on your land and grow the highest quality food anywhere. As a follow-up to the last interview that we did together about his epic textbook of a volume called Regenerative Soil, comes the next volume that illuminates the study of soil called Regenerative Soil Microscopy. Now, having read the first book is a necessary prerequisite for this volume, which goes into best practices and key observations that aspiring soil scientists and anyone who wants to know what is going on in the food web under their feet can use to tap into a world of learning through their microscope. Now, as is typical of my conversations with Matt, the topics range wildly from selecting the best equipment for building your microscope lab and ensuring that you don't go blind over time, to the way that this information has helped him advise farmers all over the world to achieve amazing crop results, to fascinating conversations that he's had with leading scientists in the field, and much more. Now, any further intro wouldn't do justice to this vastly meandering conversation, so I'll just hand things over now to Matt Powers. Welcome back, Matt Powers. Always great to see you, my friend. How are you doing? I am doing so wonderful. Thanks for having me on again. Man, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. And of course, like we always do when you come back to the show, you've got another book. So let's dig into that. Today, we're going to be exploring soil microscopy, which is an expansion on your previous book of regenerative soil. Can you give me an overview about why you've taken this next step in this Mm -hmm. chapter of uncovering the, the cutting edge of soil science and how people can, more importantly, participate and contribute to the learnings here. Yeah, so the first book in this trilogy is Regenerative Soil. And this book combined the biology with the chemistry for the first time ever and brought it all down to first principles, down to what is most natural. How do these essential plant nutrients cycle in nature? And then I connected them to what methods we can in cleanly and, and powerfully interact with them with organic, regenerative, 
natural farming, all these different practices and actions that people advertise. Be like, this is the thing to do. Well, what do they actually do? What, how do they actually interact with the cycles that are naturally at work? And so that's that was really what I would question I was asking. And then at the end of it, I wanted to prove things out and be able to test things and show how each metric, you know, improves over time. And obviously, if we're wanting it to be more acidic, that's an easy test. Obviously, if we want it to be more organic matter, that's an easy test. Mineral coherence. Also, it's a the standard test we've always done with our extension centers, plus now the plant sap analysis, if you can afford it, or the bionutrient meter. Or maybe, you know, the BRICS meter is okay. It's not great. It's okay. And so we have these metrics now that we're aligning. <clears throat> And I was, and I wanted to do the biology. I had a microscope. There were rumblings about the biology and I'd not seen anyone take on and explain to me how to evaluate the biology in a way that was satisfactory to me. And I started taking all the courses available and <clears throat> And I took uh, the in-depth Elaine Ingham advanced like in-depth course through the Australian uh, uh, group. And I started working with Dr. James F. White because I started doing DNA testing and DNA sequencing of soil and compost with William Padilla Brown's help. And from there, I realized things are not as they seemed. And, and so I was like, okay, these rumblings that I'm hearing, I have students telling me who are as trained as you can be, as trained as me, doing labs in their country, in Europe. And <clears throat> a farmer took the same sample, split it, and gave it to one soil food web lab and another one. And they both tested it. And they came back with divergent answers and the farmer exposed it to the world. And that was really painful. And so they're like, we'll do it on Zoom together. We'll figure this out. And they're like, everything timed, everything the same, and still different answers. And it was embarrassing. And they said, and this person asked me to solve this problem. And so I I I really wanted to make sure that I understood the the issues at hand and even basics kind of throw things out the window because if people don't understand how things actually are behaving and change over time cyclically they don't understand what they're doing for instance numbers numbers get everyone into trouble and, and some of the training that i've seen out there for for evaluating compost and soil it's like you do one ml this is this is all inflated right because it's been uh it, the organic matter has been uh, combined with this water for a while, so it's expanded. So you're this... holding a beaker in front of me with one milliliter of compost. For those of people who are listening, they can't see this. And it's go ahead yeah, and it's a little bit over one mil. But the idea it's expanded because of the organic matter. I just want people who are seeing if this is visual to get confused. But when I originally did this, I tamped it down to one mill one milliliter, and if it's well-structured soil, the actual volume of the profile, the actual space 
you take it from is larger than if it's compacted soil. Mm. Just think about sand. You take a shovel full of heavy, wet sand and uh, you, you stomp on it with me. It's not going to compress very much. No, no. But you I take know. some loamy, no-till chocolate cake and then you stomp on that. You can compress that into a tiny ball. So we're talking about the difference when it's one mill, milliliter uh, doing a spoonful. We're talking about the difference of sometimes like an inch more like around the same space. Sure, the so the much more space. So why would we compare the bacteria numbers that we're timesing by 100 or by the dilution, which is 100 to uh, to to scale up, you know, and exaggerate that discrepancy, that that inaccuracy. When we, when every year that you improve your soil, you're getting more structure. So every year, the number becomes more exaggerated and warped. So, so we have to think about things differently in order to actually evaluate them properly. And I figured this out pretty early on and was like, wait, let's step back. Let's stay within frames of reference. Let's look at ratios. Let's look at who's who. Because everyone's like, oh, I got fungi. I got fungi and I got bacteria. And they're amazing. And it's like, what bacteria? What fungi? Because that famous uh, tomato farm in South Africa that was doing uh, the soil food web, they had their own lab, all that. They actually over time figured out that adding more compost was detrimental. And, and, and my immediate reaction was like, well, you're like, it's bad for the plants. And so we want less fungi. And I'm like, which, which fungi are we talking about? Why can't I see your answers? Why can't I see your pictures? And then I had this fundamental realization that if you go and look at all the journals, all the journals, you know, you'll find that there's a dearth. There are some, the all-stars will show but there's a dearth of people actually showing their work. They're not showing their micro microscope images. They're doing charts and numbers and words that are abstractions from the actual. And they're saying, trust me, this is, this is the work I did. And there's no way to verify their actual work. So this really worries me because we live in a day and age where even Harvard is with landmark, like unbelievable, like things that have affected all of psychology, all of this, that, and the other, they've faked their data. We see that in the medical world, like through and through. It's really actually kind of pathetic at this point, like how, how gamed and corrupted our science, our, our, our academic science and commercial sciences. I, I look up certain stains that are advertised by some people. And one company says it's non-toxic and another company says it's toxic. Isn't that, is there like a little bit of difference between that? Yeah, there's a lot of difference between that. There is a lack of integrity. And so for me in this environment, I'm like, well, number one, what, whatever I do has to be replicable. Number two, whatever I do has to be transparent. And number three, whatever I do, we have to make it so that we start iterating this out over time, place, bioregion, soil type, practice, plant type, and then look at it with complete separation of ego 
complete hands off because otherwise you're getting in the way of the flow of truth. And so all of this was designed so that we would be able to correct the past ways of viewing and the conclusions that have come out of that other ways of doing things. So there's a lot of baked in conclusions that people have. Like some people have for years have said effective microbes, EM are bad because they're anaerobic microbes. Bum, 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 bum. Yet I DNA test all the compost. Jonathan Sue, hot thermophilic compost. And Dr. Landingham, star students, compost. And it has EM microbes in it. And so we really have to be careful about our assumptions in this space. When, when, when Dr. Lane Ingham or John Kemp says there's 1% or 5% or 10% microbes, because all different people say different numbers, by the way. And they say that, and they're like, we, don't, we only know this many microbes. If you tell your spouse, honey, I'm 90% unsure and don't know. Not, I, I know 95% of this I don't know. I'm not sure. Your 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 wife or your husband is gonna be like, honey, don't do it. And it's like, well, why are we making hard definitive conclusions in that kind of space? We need to be much more careful, much more scientific, and much more connected the micro to macro along proven benefits. And so that would break us down to individual microbes. So, for instance, cerveza yeast, cerveza uh, um, saccharomyces cerevisiae, that that beer yeast, bread yeast, was actually endophytic the whole time. So it was already on the surface and inside the plants as an endophyte. And 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 so, it it was it was it it's in our food. It bread was going to happen, beer and wine was going to happen, and and so. It's not a big boogeyman of, but we have actually proven that Saccharomyces cerevisiae in corn, in uh, subtropical Mediterranean climates, because that's where the study was done. Let's keep it within the frame of reference. Can account for up to forty-five percent of the CO two provided for photosynthesis for the plant, and from inside the plant, they're creating CO two because they're feeding on the excess sugars from photosynthesis that day and recycling that sugar so that they can get through the night clean. Because if they don't take care of that day's worth of sugars, they are going bloated or overweight or something into the next day, whatever metaphor you want. And that's when they have the bugs come and suck the sugars out of them. It's when they're leaking. That's when they're, you know, they, they, they're, they're unable to process it. So we need these endophytes and understanding the microbes down to the individuals, what I did and mapped it up into pragmatic steps. Cause you're like beer yeast. I got that right here, man. You know, you're like bread yeast. I mean, we've had that, right? Everyone has these things. And then, you know, when people talk about EM, it sounds like uh, this big thing, but it's Saccharomyces cerevisiae. It's lactobacillus, which you know, you check out your water key for your kombucha, that's lab, right? And so pour in your water kefir that has yeast and the lab in it. Boom, you're done on that side. And then the other part is purple non-sulfur bacteria. That 
is every aquarium company online is going to have that. Algae Barn has it. The, the best culture that I found is Algae Barn online. And it's PNS is how they, they describe it. It's Rhodosodomonas palustris. It is one of the most studied microbes in the world. If you want a pure culture of it, it's like $500, but this is like 30 bucks. So it's really reasonable. And you can pour that in, add a little bit of molasses, you have EM. So these aren't frightening, impossible things. Every aquarium guy's like, I have some right now. You know, right? Just like every aquarium guy's like, blue, methylene, blue, I, I, I have that, right? <laughs> these things aren't that scary. And so... I was able to to connect everything in this book to things that we actually can visually see. And so this book shows us the how-to, the cycles, the minerals, the, the biological profiles. So this is our key. This is our, our foundation and reference that we always go back to for interpretation. The second book is how to actually see and identify those microbes. So I've got, I, I went, I did something that I thought was kind of like common sense, but I've never seen anyone do it. I went and spent a fortune on pure cultures and then spent a fortune on all the, the keys, the actual university doctoral um, PhD level keys. You know, you get this little flimsy little thing with a spiral ring is super cheapo. They did it at Kinko's. It was 150 bucks. <laughs> but that's the only way I was able to figure out some of the spores in the book. And I asked everyone about them. I asked, you know, Catherine Hinson, Chris Trump, and they're like, cool spore. And I'm like, do you know what it is? No one knew what it was. Uh, it was Diplocladiella. And so it's, it's really incredibly important that someone takes the dive and takes the hit, you know, you know, someone I needed to take the hit. So I took the hit. I bought the DNA sequencing. I bought the most expensive soil microscope that you can get um, other than the DIC. Um, and I, I've done the work. I verified what I was working on with the DNA sequencing so that I could frame my, 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 my interpretation properly. No one's ever done any of this stuff before. And so it's opened up a huge amount of debunking because I see things from a completely different space. And because of that, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to do this with everyone. Otherwise people are gonna think I'm crazy. And so I am very transparent about everything because I want people to understand and replicate it. Um, the book is set up so that people see pure cultures. Then they go, I, I have, you know, the same information as Bergies, uh, which is the highest level of systematic bacteriology. And so, uh, and not only that, I, I double check all that against all the other studies. Cause that's all, I mean, that's, that is the top, but there are the edges of every study. Right. Um, so, so I've been, I, I've been studying everything. Uh, I, uh, one section of Berge's has volumes, right. And each volume is like 450 to $500. Right. Sometimes you can get them down to 300. I've been reading all of that. And so I've compiled all that so that's useful and it relates to its function and then it relates to its profile and then its preps. So we can actually prep the mycorrhizal fungi that we desire. We can actually buy uh, something and then scale it up. You can actually isolate things. You can 
all of these options are open to us, but we have to take those steps to allow the cycles to happen. And if you know the history of America, then you know that fungicides were introduced over 50 years ago and they were used liberally and still are in many places. And that fungicide, it kills not just hyphae, but spores. So you have a sterilization event that happens. So we, when we bring back fungi in many of these instances have an incredible effect, just like with adding uh, the, the members of effective microbes, they're endophytes when and plants are naturally evolved with these things. So you give them back and they're like, ah! and you get crazy, unbelievable expressions in your plants. So, so, so yeah, I, the, the microscopy is something that was, that had to happen because the microscope is the, it's the, the, the place where we all meet within all the sciences. It's used by so many different sciences. Light microscopy is so well understood, documented, and the limitations of it are, are also well understood. And so it's one tool, a very important tool, it gives us the micros microscopic context because microbes are the most, they have the strongest effect on plant health, the strongest effect on, on soil creation, soil health, um, EH and pH, nutrient availability, but they are also the first affected and the most affected by changes in their environment because they feed externally and absorb their food. So, so this book really had to happen. And then when I got into it, it was like, none of this is organized or put together. We've got all these disconnected pieces. None of these pieces are talking. It was very much like when I was writing this. And I was like, wow, the chemistry people, and the biology people never got together because it's all biochemistry. Otherwise, how would the nutrients move around? So, so it was a very logical progression. Yeah, that makes sense. And maybe you can offer some insights into what so many people are talking about when they're talking about healthy soil. It seems like such a nonspecific moniker for something that is still quite poorly understood. And healthy soil for one outcome might be very detrimental for another, right? How do you look at it in these senses, whether it's soil function, soil health? What are the indicators for that? And ultimately, what do you learn from microscopy to give you insights onto this? Yeah, so microscopy is one aspect. And that's that, that should be really be stressed because a lot of folks think you need one test to rule them all, like we're in The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings or something not um it's always a combination i mean just look at this right here this is the ehph charts these are the the uh pole base you know redox charts and it's really important to understand that it's not just ph it's eh right and so testing for your ph looking at what's bioavailable in your plant will actually tell you what your biology is doing and also what redox possibilities you have because you will always have a range because your tip of your 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 um of your root tip is very very acidic very reduced and then as things are aging the root hairs become more oxidized and alkaline so we, we always have to have that larger picture at work um and then it really comes down to the fact that there that we have to use the microscope to understand the effects of the other components. I'm looking for a, a really easy to understand graphic here. 
So there it is. I knew it was somewhere. All right. So this, this this oil, it's regenerative. It heals itself. It gets better over time. And it's simple. All my work goes back to what is pragmatic, what is provable, what is being done by people who are succeeding. And so what I did was I looked at why the people who are succeeding are succeeding in relation to the actual natural cycles and how plants evolved. And from that space, we have a very clean line of alignment for action. And no one's ever done that before, which I, I'm still, I wake up in the morning and I'm like, you know, I, I say my prayers and my gratitudes and I just feel incredibly blessed to have received this because People are doubling their yields with this information and it does scale down to the most complex layers and scale back up just as cleanly. So we need to look at the air and water. Is it, is it have enough air? Is it structured? And does it have enough water? Because water plus at the energy of the sun is really the electricity for a lot of this. And then organic and the fuel for a lot of this. And then organic matter. Organic matter is where all the energy is stored. So the amount of organic matter, how it's structured, Cause you can just throw on a ton of compost and have it go in aerobic and be like, Oh, I've got 10%. You know, that's not structured. It needs to be structured. Um, otherwise the air and the water doesn't work out. Right. So these things are in tandem plant roots and photosynthesis. We need the energy. And actually there's more carbon added organic matter created by soil roots than adding than compost can per year. And this has to do with microbes and structuring and also the form it delivers it in. It delivers in a perfect form around the root. And then soil biology. It's not just fungi. It's which fungi? You know, composting doesn't contain mycorrhizal fungi and it only contains some of the endophytes. Uh, and then minerals. Mineral coherence is necessary to be insect and pest disease and disease resistant and immune to viruses. And, and and this is this is something that people don't get because they're like, oh, that's chemistry. And it's like, yeah, but if you give the options to the biology, especially if you find what gaps there are and fill them in, the biology will do the rest and manage it so beautifully that that hole will be gone. And it will be and if you've added the right elements, like let's say biochar, it'll stick. You know what I mean? That's that's the thing. Rock dust, biochar, kelp meal, and then the right biology, you got a winning combination there. You till that in when you're establishing a system. That's what I did here. And you get two feet, like three feet long daikon radish that are eight inches wide. You can check out the picture on my social of that. And so those things, when they're in coherence it, together, just like the, you need the right amount of minerals, you need the right kinds of minerals in the right space. It's the same thing. You need the right organic matter. It needs to be structured. You need the right plants. You need to do cover crops so that you get momentum in your soil. You need to have photosynthesis be really strong. So, you know, when you crowd those plants, and you have those weaker ones. Those weaker ones have got to go because they're actually releasing hydroxide and not protons. So they're not actually helping the soil. Get rid of them. Give the plants exactly what they need to thrive. And they will give back to you in a way that it's it's as good as adding compost. And if you add compost, you're getting even further. So, so I really value this. And 
just to give some, throw out some examples, farmers are pragmatic people. They're going to test things out one thing at a time. And that's how I work. I'm not trying to whole hog. Oh, I'm whole hogging it for myself because I want to, I don't want the big reactions. Uh, and, and I'm getting them. I've uh, turned up the size of my head. Right. So, so I, I have that. Right. But other people are going to do one thing at a time and they're, they're their family on the line. I respect that. And so one of the things uh, that, that I want to reference is this farmer in Arizona is doing peppers. It's, you know, dry, hot, and they are doing regular nitrogen fertilizer, except this time they decide to water in those microbes we just mentioned for, for from EM. So lacto, lactobacillus lab, um, uh, lactoacid bacteria, and the Saccharomyces cerevisiae and the Rhodosotomonas polystris waters that in, and it won't clog your drip line. It actually cleans it. So, so don't worry about that. Uh, and then it actually cleans your um, your sprayers if you do that or what have you. He watered it in and it transferred the, because you know, when you add any form of nitrogen within hours in oxidized soils like Arizona, you will end up with nitrates. But nitrates, EM eats nitrates and turns them into amino acids, which are in energizing for plants. They're not, they're not just the, the building blocks of their protein, they're energizing. And so he saw a 0.5 increase in two to five months. I can't remember the five, it can, spins around in my head sometimes. Um, it's, one, it's in my podcast with uh, Tara Gannick's, uh, um former VP. And they, th he was able to grow these peppers and have an incredible reaction. Soil was incredible. The, 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 he, he, and he was like, this is the only way I'm going to do it. And, and just by doing that, he was able to not shock the soil because when nitrogen in a pure form is added, it combines with the carbon that's already in the soil. In other words, your organic matter rips it apart and has a little composting session right there. And it then leaches out or is soluble in that soluble state or is sucked up by the plant. And then you've just desertified your soil a little bit. So, so this was an excellent step by involving biology. And now is maybe his next step is he's gonna, gonna do biochar. Maybe his next step is he's going to, you know what I mean? Switch to a different kind of uh, nitrogen source because he knows that he doesn't need as much. Um, anyway, there's also the example of University of Utah using the, uh, 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 it's, uh, it's the, the, the State University of Utah. They, they have a permaculture garden. They've been doing it for years. They used my stuff. And then they switched to this and they doubled their yields. So all those practices, seeing it from that perspective works. And then how the microscope relates to it is it shows you whether your biology is actually cycling. You look on there, if you see nematodes, you know, that have a spear in their mouth, you'd be scared. That thing's going to attack your roots, you know? And I know a lot of people are like, oh, it could be a fungal one. Um, well, a lot of those fungal ones are switchers. So they'll, they'll switch to your young roots if they get hungry. Um, or your root hairs or something like that. So just keep that in mind. 
So if you see nematodes, you know you've got the, the top layer, the cycling. If you see true hyphae, because there's a lot of actinobacteria, um, and I, there's a whole thing around this. Uh, people have demonized actinobacteria in the microscopy world, but actinobacteria streptomyces is the most prominent uh, bacteria, only is second only to E. coli in the environment naturally. And E. coli is like saying mammal, okay? Just like a shark is different from a squirrel or a dog or another person, um, mammal is, is is like E. coli. E. coli is millions of species. They're commensual, endophytic, and they're not harmful at all. And there's a handful, teeny little handful. There's more dangerous mammals than there are dangerous E. coli. And they're pathogens, of course, and we know those, right? But the reality is E. coli is an endophyte in all plants. E. coli is in all soils. E. coli is in all guts. And it came there because of the plants that we're eating. And so that's why it's in all the manure. And because of the different environments, that same E. coli through the generations of life and death and is taking up different genes from the environment it's in. And so when it's anaerobic, it's going to take up the genes for that environment. So when we make pathogenic anaerobic conditions, microbes drop their normal genes and take up the pathogenic genes and 20 to 40% of the natural environment of soil is broken up fragmented DNA. How could it not be? These little chunks of organic matter, what are they made of? Organic matter, what was organic matter? Life, what's life made of? Cells, they contain DNA and DNA takes up millions of years to break down. So plants, are sourcing these microbes, they're constantly getting this feedback from their environment, from the DNA that's all around us. And so they're messengers. They also are delivering these nutrients. And we can use the microscope to verify that our roots are healthy by looking at the, the root hairs, seeing that bacteria is being forced out of the root hair, causing the root hairs to grow extra long. We can visually verify rise, that's rhizophagy that's happening. Rhizophagy is when plants actually feast on the life in the soil. They suck up the microbes and then destroy them. And some of them survive and they get pushed back out through the root hairs. And that's why they're surrounding the root hair tips because they're actually being forced out. It's very different than a lot of the paradigms that came before cakes and cookies and all that 90% of exudation from roots is actually reabsorbed. Why wouldn't it be? You know what I mean? Of course it's reabsorbed. I mean, we live in a world where there's night and day where the ocean go in and out. We breathe in and out. There's a, a pattern to so much of these things and that's how they're able to take things in and out, right? They release things and take things in. Well, how would that work? Uh, a pattern of in and out. <laughs> And so we have to like recognize the actual frame that we're in. And that's what this was to begin with. And now I'm using the microscope to flush those. And what's so great is because the way I did that, everything I'm doing is only strengthening that. And so I, I have things to add to it, but there's no corrections. And so the DNA work and, and it, the DNA book is the third book. And, uh, Fungi is very hard to DNA sequence, extremely hard to DNA sequence. You basically have to decide what you want to look for and look for that. And then you miss all the other fungi 
And so it's people are like, you want to do it all at once for soil? Huh, that's novel. And I'm like, it's not novel. I can do it with bacteria. They're like, yeah, of course. And I'm like, ah. So like I'm working on that study. <laughs> um, but like it's not, it, it, that's why I put out no release date for the third book in the trilogy. I'm actually being trained by people way better at the fungal. I'm going to Southwest Funga Fest in a week now. Um, and there's a huge DNA sequencing. All the people who are the best at this with fungi and DNA sequencing will be there. And I, I, I've done, I've done it. Um, and I do a lot with the bacteria and the fungi just, it's very difficult to break it down. We spend like days trying to break it down and it still won't show itself. It's very faint. And also, uh, it's very hard to break down. I mean, we take spores out into space and bring them back and they sporulate just fine. So fungi is of a different nature. That's why people think fungi could have come from a different planet or from a meteor or something like that because of how wild its behavior actually is. So in this space, with how little we knew and also with how much information wasn't being read by people in the permaculture soil science world, I just read and read and tested and tested and verified and talked to all these different people and started developing a new way of doing things and realized I couldn't be definitive about a lot of things. And when I said that, like my mentor, James F. White was like, yes, like, like, like this is like a moment in like with all his students that he like obviously looks for uh, because it's a, it, it's humility, right? But it's also the ultimate level of learning. Because we are actually in a position where nature is teaching us. We're using science to try to understand it and organize that. But it's still nature teaching us. And we need to stay in that position. And also, you know, always be open-minded to, to what's possible. And so I, I realized that we needed to create something really open-ended. And so I designed the book, the microscopy book, to turn to to feed into the r soil database such that we can start seeing the nuance because everyone's saying matt why are you looking at that so deep don't look at that don't sample that um uh that's all just noise that and i'm like actually the nuance is the signal that leads us down to the contradiction that allows us to understand the exception the limitation the caveat and the condition that we ultimately need to be using this method, this microbe or this plant and this soil. We need to understand it from that depth and we need to not assume. We need to set things up so that they they unfold and reveal themselves. And so I, I, I realized the only way in soil, soil science to go further, the only way in farming to go further is community-based, transparent, open, so I've designed the tests so that we are we are shown how nature is and and, and it, keeping it very simple, very clean and clear. I I don't jump to conclusions. A lot of people jump to a lot of conclusions. A lot of people are very definitive. This and studies online about compost and these people aren't pH testing it. Think about this. Just think about this for with me for a second. I was the first person that I know of to pH test their compost regularly. I'm talking to a group, a large group of people, and and they're all trained in microscopy. I'm like, how many of you pH your 
your your compost no one raises their hand they're all shocked i'm like because everything i see hot compost is high in ph ph8 lockout central so they're all freaked out and then they get home start testing their compost they're like oh my gosh my compost is ph8 my soil i've worked so hard to get to lower down to quartz neutral because it's so alkaline here i'm reversing it with my compost how could this be how could it be that we're not testing multiple tests so that's the perspective i am applying so that we actually understand so we're doing ph if you've got redox redox because em um these biofertilizers compost teas we can read them because they're liquid uh very easily with redox um doing the fungal uh, to bacteria ratio using a microbiometer because it not just measures the spores, it measures the invisible fungi inside the organic matter. My microscope can see that, but I know only of two other people with this type of microscope right now. So, so a lot of fungi is invisible. So this actually is just so incredibly important to have a control experience, to have a more holistic uh, perspective. So this is how I teach. This is what I teach. Um, microscope is a component. It's the place where the context where we view things, just like we view things in the macro, but all those other tests inform it. And if we don't have that perspective, we can get completely lost. And that's what I see. I see people all the time making these definitive decisions instead of looking at multiple perspectives and then looking through the cycles and and when you do amazing things happen um you have first season giant vegetables you have doubling of yields after doing this for years you have farmers being able to transition rapidly and seeing you know an entire year's worth of organic the record organic matter growth is almost 0.5% per year and that's the johnson sue experiments with dr david johnson this was two to five months, 0.5%. And it was just by adding an EM in Arizona. So <laughs> the potential here is wild. It, it's, it's, it's truly incalculable because when farmers are seeing massive changes overnight in one season. I'm seeing them. I'm, I, and, and I'm doing all these things at the same time as I'm like writing this book, doing all this research. Uh, homeschooling my kids. Uh, we just moved in. We're still unpacking. So, and I'm doing the Kickstarter rewards. So it's like, I can do this. Farmers definitely can do this. Um, I, 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 I've got a tiller too. Um, I've got a tiny tiller compared to most farmers combines and all that. But, but I have that perspective. I'm doing things at a large scale um, and I'm amending things as they would. Uh, and so, and all, and in my book, everything scales up to a thousand uh, so, so like whether you're doing a ton of compost or a ton of Bokashi, or whether you're doing, you know, a thousand acres, um, all the numbers scale up so that people can be doing large scale, uh, remediation and regenerative ag. And I have people with peach orchards in Florida where everything was diseased and they just bought it and they're freaking out. And they're like, I heard you're the man, help me. And I like literally help them. And within three emails, two months, they're freaking out. They're like, I'm giving away these peaches to the to the local 
um, uh, food bank and, and, and it's going to provide to people because you helped me that that's what it's about. Like it's just beyond that door, just beyond that simple five leaf image, understanding that applying the, that the, the, the simple understanding of these things at the right time, the right place, the right strategy. I'm all about developing a strategic plan. And so this book ends with a strategic plan and the testing ties into that in the next book so that this that next book sharpens your ability in this book but i always want people to have a strategy so it's not just farming um that because farmers always have a strategy they're always looking to the next season they plan it out for the winter that's how they do it they time it all out and they're, they're a clockwork um that's why you got to talk to them early <laughs> but all of us can benefit from this. And when we do, we get to relax because we know what's going to happen. We know when it's going to happen. We know what we need to do, how much we need to add and the, and the methodologies, the plants, all of those things fold in together. So that's what, that's what I've done. They work together in tandem. Uh, if you would, if you got the microscopy book without the, uh, this, it wouldn't make sense. <laughs> Well, so let's dig deeper into that diagnostic protocol, right? Yeah. If we're going to come up with a usable strategy, one that really takes the guesswork out of our upcoming growing season, what are the indicators that we're looking for? And how does microscopy fit into this as a diagnostic tool? Yeah. So instantly when you look at things at one to 10 dilution, I have references in my book. So you can look at it and go, oh my gosh, I'm so compact compared to this guy. Or, holy cow, my soil looks like subsoil. You can instantly compare and see. All of us can. That's the problem. There was no references that showed you the actual sizes of what things should be in reference. Like, this is 400X. This is what it looks like. And then you go to 100X. It's the same image. This is what it looks like. Like all the different variations of size I've never seen before and all the different examples of what is good, what is compact, what is diseased. No one has done that before. And so I did that. And it's and, and, and so people actually can compare and go, oh, my gosh, this looks dangerous. And they look at it and they're like, uh, that's Aspergillus fumigatus. Do not breathe that compost. But but you also realize and recognize Aspergillus fumigatus is, is one of the essential microbes in taking apart petrochemicals and plastics. So we can't demonize things instantly because in composting and in plant and soil interactions, you have microbes that aren't great for us to lick, eat, snort, you know, rub in a cut. It, it, it's not good for us, but it's good for them. And that's okay. I think people wanted the compost edible at some point and they wanted to like live in compost. You see all these people like bathing in compost tea and they're like, hey, and they had teacups. And I've seen people drink EM and the, the people are like, that was made with pond water, dude. Like, I don't think that's okay. I think we need to draw a line. It's like, yes, we need to be dirty. We need to be have those microbes involved. You know what I mean? Our kids need to get dirty. But we don't need to have it be a general rule of thumb that it's cool to do that because many people are immune compromised. And a lot of the microbes that I see in the top 25 to 50 in my DNA test 
are literally the microbes that can turn on us if we're immune compromised. So having common sense, having a completely, really a, a recut of how we interact and how we view soil is what I'm trying to introduce so that people, hey, stay safer, B, save money, and C, just at the end of the day, have a healthier product for their kids, their family, their community, and, you know, make money. Because the thing is, we are going to destroy all the people that don't do this. The nutrient density of these foods is off the charts. We don't lose crops to insect damage. And even when you're like, oh, I did everything right. I did the compost. Da, 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 and the humidity hits 100% and the evapotranspiration stops in your plant because it, it's a differential of humidity between the soil and the air that allows evapotranspiration. to. It's a thermosiphon. So when that stops, calcium stops. So that's why the bugs attack your plant in the high humidity heat spikes. But that's why you water it with water-soluble calcium as a foliar spray, um, especially in the heat of the day because it'll just soak right in. Um, so I, I, we have the ability when we understand the actual situation and cycle that we're in to interact so powerfully. And people are. People are doing all this stuff already. Uh, pe people like Stephen Raisner is applying all this and going further. That's why he's uh, he's testing the nutrients of all Korean natural farming inputs and mapping out the ranges. Because a banana fermented plant juice is going to be completely different from a mango or an apple or a peach or uh, you know artichoke. Right? They're all going to have a completely different nutrient profile. So this citizen science layer. It was inevitable because it's a it's like a stone wall that you kind of hit in the science. It, it, and unless we democratize it and open it up so, so that everyone can participate and understand this stuff, we're never going to get past these like hermetic egoic things where there's like this person at the top that's stopping all the progress and also misinterpreting things. I think I think in that space there's not enough pushback and and in, in discussion um because in that you will see people come to better conclusions i mean that's what, what always science was a feedback loop between each other and nature and discussion and so i'm really excited about it um some of the conclusions that you can use with the microscope beyond compaction beyond is are my nutrients cycling you can see very quickly if you're in trouble you can see the pathogenic uh you can really tell the pathogenic fungi from the 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 the, the regular basidiomycota fungi. Um, you can see if it's actinobacterial dominant, and then you know that you need fungi. You can see, I mean, there's a there's so many things that you can see. Um, you can see holes, uh, and you can also see if things are more pathogenic. So a lot of people are like flagellates. They're great. Ami naked amoeba, they're great. And I'm like, <laughs> when you actually do the research and read the actual documentation of cases of what is safe and what is not, the testate amoebas in their polite little shells and they're non-mobile or they're sessile, non-motel, they, they, they stay still and they're, they're, they're awesome. They actually stay longer because that shell, they can, the test, they can handle the pH swings, the OH, uh, the EH swings, the oxygen swings, the water swings, 
all of that, it's the naked amoeba amoeba that are that are actually problematic for the most part. Same thing with the flagellated ones. I mean, that's what the brain eating one is. That's what giardia is. So yeah, there's a lot of misconception and myth making out there, and it has to do with people not having. I think not having the time to read. Uh, a lot of people are like, "How do you read so much?" Well, when I was a kid, uh, my mom was like, "You can watch sports or you can watch nature," and my brothers were bigger than me, way bigger than me, and um, always had say. And and that still is to this day. We could all have divergent opinions, and the oldest, his opinion has the most weight. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, but but I never I just read. I just read and read and read and read. I love my older brother. My, my older brother's awesome. Um, but but that is how the hierarchy of 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 raising four boys was. Yeah. <laughs> it was the eighties, uh, and so so I, I really really value the information that we get from the microscopy. It's it's like we learned about rhizophagy from James White, and then. Everyone, I teach everyone about it for two years. I get the microscope. I do the blue methylene. I grow out these pumpkin seeds. I feed them. Um, I, I, I inoculate them. And then I look at them with stained with blue methylene. And the first time I do this, I see rhizophagy in action. It blew my mind. I was like, I have to do this. And and I did all these things before the book was coming out, before I said I was going to do it. I actually wrote 60 pages of the book. The book has ballooned into almost 300 pages. Uh, and that's also because it's highly visual. I, I This book is, is highly visual, but there's a lot of cartoons. You know what I mean? There, there are, there are real, we're real, we're real, but, but, but the diagrams for explaining the natural world, I made realistic cartoons, but they're still drawings. They're still illustrations and diagrams. I was able to go down to the microscopic level and show these things. And it completely changed my relationship with the space. And as and it made it and because I don't do things microscopy norm like what everyone else does, I never there's no eyepieces on the thing. I don't do eyepieces. I don't stick my eyes on there. Screw that. Who wants to go blind? The reality is microscopy damages the eye the way they've traditionally done it is because you're focusing a beam of light shining up from below and magnifying it into your eye. So how could that not be bad? But I, I used a 4K camera instead and put it on a 4K screen instead. It's not a big screen. You know what I mean? It, it, it does the job, though. It was the cheapest one at the holiday Christmas sale at Costco. Uh, and it, But but it's 4K and 4K. So I, I did the right thing. And oh my gosh, I can do this for hours and days. I can just sit here. I can go like this. We're watching. We're hanging out. It's completely different from a beam of light being shot into my eye. And then I'm like... Huh, I have to try to get this lens to match that lens. And meanwhile, my eyes are like deteriorating in real time. I'm like, let me adjust that more. You know, no, none of that. Um, I, I, I have no interest in, in, in aging my eyes any more than they already have at this point. And I don't think anyone wants to do that. And, and the, the fact that 
people are still using eyepieces is crazy. You look at clinical practices, the 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 screen is right where the eyepieces used to be. So they literally are doing the work like this and the screen's right there where they would have had their eyepieces. So huh, the world has already moved on. And that's the thing with the soil science practices that I see in permaculture and regenerative soil science, even the, well, especially the USDA and all those folks, they have no idea about what's possible, how to view things in a way that's not going to screw them up. And, th and this is why you can't kind of blame all those people being like, well, that study said compost was bad. Oh, my buddy tried this. It was all an acre of horse manure and man, it just turned into weeds. And yeah, of course it did. You know what I mean? Like there are all these anecdotes and even case studies that are so horribly done because they don't lack, they, they, they lack the understanding. They, they don't understand. So I really have taken things back down to a place where it's clean and clear in understandable in a fundamental way that allows us to innovate, improvise and respond to problems and individual situations from a first principle space. And because, I mean, Oliver, you know, I've been teaching this advanced permaculture student online course for eight years. That means I've been helping people design their permaculture design, like certification maps and climate and everything for all climates for almost a decade. So I've had to answer these soil questions and been like, huh, that doesn't match what Elaine Ingham said. Uh-uh. You know, and then I'm like, research, research, research. And I'm like, okay. So um, there are soils that are acidic minerally and like, like, and they're still oxidized. And that like, that's the thing is the, the original chart I did with Elaine Ingham where it goes from old growth forest all the way to um, the desert. That's actually a diagonal of an XY chart. So there's two other sides, two other quadrants of a four quadrant like like view. So so that's something I introduced in regenerative soil. This is this is the world we live in. There are more dimensions to the to the soil world we live in and they don't have to be scary. They're not complicated. They go back to that five, you know, those five elements. And the biology, the microscopy allows us to make sure that these things are, are actually working, non-detrimental. Because if you go in there and suddenly like, you're like, where did all the nematodes go? It's like something nuked the garden, right? And you're like, um, what are we downwind from? It rained last night. Why did it nuke the garden with the rain? And then you test it and you're like, holy cow, it's high in sulfur. I have a student I'm referring to. He's like, I don't understand it. We're so high in sulfur. It's crazy. Most people are, are the opposite because we stopped acid rain, you know, 20 years ago. And so that's what sulfuric acid was part of that. And it was actually helping hide the bad practices of all of our farmers and now the fungal disease they see everywhere because there's no acid rain bizarre but um that's the truth so we need to be able to map those things sensitive to those things and with a microscope you can catch these things early on the plants won't be affected but if you're constantly looking at your soil you're gonna be like oh my gosh let's get some compost out there and compost tea and well water em and 
uh, we, we onto the plants right now. And then the plants will be like, oh, rise of phage continues. Plants are reconnected with all the biology, right? So we have the ability to catch things, monitor things, and understand things at a completely different level. With this microscope, you can look at the mycorrhizal fungi like that. I can take a root, put it underneath like this with my hand, no water, no crushing cover slip, no knives, and I can flip on the light and I can view it. And that makes it so that I can instantly tell you the percentage. If it's half inoculated by our muscular mycorrhizal fungi, not good enough. Let's let's inoculate again. It needs to be 50 to 100% for AMF. If it's ecto and you're like at 40%, you're doing good because it's up to 50% for ecto. So an ecto is pretty visual. Uh, you can see those things on like a stereoscope and stuff like that. Um, but you will not see arbuscular mycorrhizal fungi partnering with 90 to 98% of all plants on earth. This is why light microscopy has been limited because they didn't have this wavelength until now. This microscope, people in my courses get 40% off this microscope. Uh, you want the discount? Uh, or actually 37%, sorry. Inflation, apparently. So, so we... This microscope allows us to see things that are invisible. You can see the fungi in the organic matter. You can calculate things incredibly quickly and fast. You can, you can just know. You just, huh? All right, we're good. You just did all your microscopy work on that uh, on on the root for that one. So, and maybe you get three roots, and you go, yep, yep. And then you just did three examinations. It's that powerful. And and ever and it was really wild because I, I I do things very differently from other people, and that gives me very different images. I have the I have some of the highest quality images of plant roots, microbes um, that are available. It's really bizarre that people don't share their work in the journals, scientific journals, because they just give the those charts. Uh, and I think it's because they lack the skill. I was roommate with a photography major in college and everything's light. So when I'm doing things, I turn off the lights. I'm like very, very, very keen on keeping things very, very clean and dialing in exactness. I do a lot of things where like I roll back and forth until I hit the sweet spot. A lot of people try to roll up to things and as actually it's, it's, the behavior of the mechanism. I think you, 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 there's all these weird things that I do um, uh, that allow me to get incredible images and they seem very natural to me. Um, but, but people don't do them. People think in linear people are in these labs with all these like lights on, on top. Yeah. So you've talked about all of these different tests that you've run at this point and the research that went into making this book and have even alluded to some of the common misconceptions as well as some of the kind of famous ways of preparing soil or compost right now. In having analyzed these things, such as hot compost, uh, Johnson Sioux, EMs, uh, IMOs for one, you know, these are common in the vernacular now of regenerative farmers. What have been some of the most surprising or in interesting things that you have found from testing all of these? What have you learned from it? I think that oh, that's a great question. 
I think the most surprising thing initially was that the effect of microbes EM, which were called anaerobic, but they're actually facultative anaerobic and soil is facultative anaerobic, meaning it's in between aerobic and anaerobic. And if it was aerobic, we'd be tilling it constantly and killing it. And aerobic compost is oxidized and alkaline. And uh, so it's really important to keep that reference. Um, so, ah, shoot, I lost my train of thought. We'll, we'll repeat the question. <laughs> I mean, learnings from testing all of these common soil preparations or biostimulants. Oh, yeah. Yeah, what I realized that EM was in all of those preps, like the Johnson Sioux, the thermophilic, it was really like, oh my gosh, we don't know what we're talking about, a lot of us. And it was, it was, and I hadn't written my books to, to contradict any of that, but it was such an eye-opener, like, wow, people are running on thin ice, and they don't even know it. They think it's solid ground. And I need to like acknowledge the thinness of the ice wherever I go and have that be part of what I do. Um, so so finding EM in everything, learning that Johnson Sue seems to be the most stable was also very interesting. Someone the highest fungal counts I've ever seen, you know, 85% fungi would be a Johnson Sioux compost made of just leaves in Utah. Meanwhile, it was pH eight. Huh. So the thing is, we have to recognize that saprophytic fungi are not necessarily, they may have effects just like the way stem cells work, where stem cells don't, you know, the 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 amniotic stem cells and the endogenous stem cells, they don't become things. They influence, right? They they have a secretion. So maybe there's basidiomycota secretions that help plants. But as far as I know, there is no example of the basidiomycota then like partnering other than certain examples of turkey tail and um, there, there are all stars that do this, right? But, 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 but there's a group they don't, and the saprophytic ones that are in your compost. I mean, turkey tails on wood, right? So, we got to recognize that. Um, we have to add the mycorrhizal fungi. We have to add all the endophytes in, um, and 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 seeing the stability of that compost. It's it's like the, it also has all the microbes like all the same microbes that thermophilic has all the same microbes that vermicompost has because it, it's a combination of all of them starts off thermophilic then goes into a static state like grandma's and has worms so i really really value johnson sue compost because of all that um in i i have samples that have kept their biological personalities and the right biology for months and months. Some of them are over a year and they're still good. And this is like two cup samples in baggies that aren't fully closed. Kept on the floor to keep them cool. But but it's pretty wild. I, I don't know anyone else testing compost as it ages. That's what I'm doing. 
uh, I want to understand how the different forms of composting affect things. Um, so, but but this also shows how dependent the different methodologies are on each other. Like if you finish that Johnson Sioux compost with an EM drench, yeah, fresh EM is 3.5 pH. Of course, it won't be pH 8 at the end of that week. So doing that simple, so easy, but you just changed the pH and corrected it without buying anything expensive, you know? So, so, so those are definitely things that, um, that, that I've been able to see, been able to connect and been able to, to, to navigate. Um, I think that, I think that something uh, also when things get waterlogged, different compost types have different proclivities. I've seen some scary looking vermicompost that's uh, been waterlogged for too many days, like all sorts of ciliates that just, just bizarre. Um, and so, so different, different composts are going to have different proclivities given the different ingredients they have. This is also why the database is so necessary. No one's mapped out the bioregional ingredients and their effects in different composting methods. And once we do, farmers are going to be like, oh my gosh, make sure you add this into the compost. What have you bioregionally? You know, I mean, I know the people in the tropics are going to be like, if you don't add that sugar cane, it's going to be not as good. Add that sugar cane, you know, um, or sorghum in, in, in the south, right? Any other main points that you got there? Or do you want to start to talk about the potential for this research to come together and build communities, especially for those who can't afford all the equipment or maybe aren't ready to do all of the analysis and the learning themselves? But this can be a community effort that helps to establish this data and best practices in the bioregions you're talking about. Yeah, so to connect with what I, would, what I was just saying, I definitely take a position where, where I'm A, open-minded, but also B, setting it up to gather more information and set it up so that we can all make better decisions given that greater understanding because I've seen so many people so sure and just not really understanding what they're saying. And they're just saying it like, rah, rah, rah. and so it's like, I, I've, I've definitely taken a stance that uh, might put people off because they're like, oh, no, 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 I know it all. I was told I know it all. And it's like, well, <laughs> how many, what percent of the microbes are no? <laughs> So I just want to like make sure like that's why I've designed it that way. And that's why we're creating a database. That's why it's going to be transparent. All these things fold together. Uh, and even if you don't have the wherewithal time or money to do this, you want it because these microbes are the health of the plant, the nutrients of the plant, the immunity of the plant. And guess what? Those are your immunity. That's your health and your kid's health. It's wild. Um, and so you want that information, even if you don't want to do the work, which means you actually want a community lab that's transparent, has the equipment. So maybe you can hop on the equipment 
or has someone else there that does it and you pay them a fee or what have you and it upkeeps the place and they have classes but this gives everyone the ability to understand because right now you do a soil test no one's comparing their soil tests to your test it's a black box and most of us don't test again at the end of the season so how do we know how things really went right and so they just taste the tomato and go, wow, that was great. Yay. You know, and there's no like correlation feedback or comparison. So doing that, I think, is an essential step for all of us as farmers, all of us as growers. And then when we have a community lab, when the local farmers market foods are being tested, everyone just starts buying from Susan. And Susan's doing the regenerative soil practice. And so her tomatoes are unbelievable. I don't eat tomatoes any longer. Maybe this is me craving them. But uh, I'm allergic to nightshades now. Um, uh, and so, <laughs> and so, but everyone's like buying them all from there. And then all the other farmers are like, so you used rock dust and EM and biochar. That's it? Yeah. That's where I started and it's going great. I'm just going to keep doing this. And then everyone's like, well, we're going to do this now. And suddenly everyone gets better because it's something that's cheap, replicable, provable. And then everyone can see, taste, smell, and experience the benefit. And then suddenly people are buying more locally than they're buying from the farm, from the, 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 the grocery store. They're, and the grocery stores get wise and start carrying the, the local foods more. I've seen it happen. And then the uh, farmer's market that grows and grows and they're spillover from there into the grocery stores. I've seen this as well in the natural grocers. And so they're like, you can get that same person's eggs in the natural grocery stores in the middle of the week per se, but that's going to expand local economy, local stability. Our kids are going to be able to have jobs as teenagers. This is a big deal. You know, you go to some areas of the world right now and one out of three teenagers, there's no work. They literally can't get a job. And so having them a meaning, purpose, working, developing real skills, seeing real results, is so incredibly important. And that comes out of a strong local, local economy. Uh, entrepreneurs, small businesses, and that comes from producers. You know, having the ability to make those value added products. And so I, I, I want to allow, I want to provide the tools so that people can use in a commercial setting or home setting or a laboratory setting these tests and methodologies to have higher nutrient density, to have more resilient soils and crops. And, and to, to have more confidence in regenerative solutions, because I am not a regenerative organic label person. I wasn't an organic label person. Once you give it to the politicians, they're like, oh, it looks football shaped. Okay. We play. And then they play political football with it. Right. And so it's like, if we give them the power, they play with it. And so I really feel like the definition of regenerative being like it gets better and better every year along those five simple measurable outcomes. And that's why I had to create the biological one with the microscopy book 
because it was so poorly mapped out beforehand. So with those simple metrics, we can change all of farming, all of even grazing, even raising animals because it deals with it all. Every The feed that they're eating affects their digestion, affects their meat production, egg production, everything. So all of it's connected. Um, and the, the, the microscope allows us to view the canaries in the coal mine, allows us to tailor things and allows us to catch things early on. So uh, I really, really value it. Uh, and it's, it's been a combination of proving out so many of the things that I've known and loved and seen on the macro. We do the EM and then, and you're like, oh, and then they, the microbes take on the nutrients. We say, I can actually see it. So we'll test for NPK in the EM. No NPK. And then you look at your plump yeast and you flip on the epifluorescence and half them are glowing because they have phosphorus inside them. So it's it's a whole new day. And and the way I do my microscopy has, has never been done before. Uh, it, I mean, it feels wild saying that, but it's never been done before. And that's why L&W Scientific, they're an FDA certified um, uh, microscope company, medical company. They, they, they back me, they, they, they have, have contributed to this whole process and they're really excited about the work I'm doing because no one's ever done it before. They've been showing my images to, to my mentors, not realizing that they were formerly my soil mentors being like, well, this is what's possible, you know? And so it's, it's, it's been a wild ride. Very, very exciting. Very exciting, man. I love the vision behind this and how grand you're thinking about it. I'm really looking forward to seeing how the community and the data entry that's being compiled there is going to start to inform this process as well. And before we go, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you, where they can get the book, the course that goes along with these resources. And I know you're going to a couple of events coming up too. Give us the details. Oh, yeah, well, thank you. So my books are available at thepermaculturestudent.com, www.thepermaculturestudent.com. And I also have a separate website that's just all soil. So regenerativesoilscience.com. And that's a lead link. Um, I, I haven't figured out how to do the, the www dot for that thing yet. So just type in regenerativesoilscience.com and it will turn into my home base link for soil. Uh, and that has books, reviews, courses, microscopy, soil science, hands-on, pragmatic, all, all of the above. And my website, thepermaculturestudent.com has free books, has free online courses. Uh, I, I really believe that the permaculture information needs to be free. So there's a 400 plus page ebook that's free on there, the purple book. And that's peer reviewed. It's standard based. So you could use it in your homeschooling for science. It's actually the first permaculture book ever accredited in North America. So that's free for you. Uh, on my website and, and yeah, just keep curious, ask questions and, and get into feedback with nature, get out of the world because there's so much to be, to be learned. There's so much to learn from nature. We live in an incredibly, truly regenerative world. And if we align to those cycles, amazing things will happen. And that's what my work is an invitation to that. 
Beautiful, man. Well, look, it's always a pleasure to catch up with you. Thank you so much for taking time to illuminate all of this research and your passion behind the microscopy and the discovery of this cutting edge of soil science. It's been a real pleasure. I look forward to catching up again soon. Thank you, Oliver. Thanks once again to Matt. I'll put all the links to his website where you can buy the book and find his suite of online courses in the links in the show notes for this episode at regenerativeskills.com. Now, before we wrap this up, just remember that these episodes are only the beginning of the learning resources, design and coaching services, in-person courses, and interactive community that are available through Regenerative Skills. The Discord server is our free community where you can connect with other like-minded listeners, exchange ideas, stories, tips, and resources, as well as interact with me directly and quite a few former guests from this show. Our Instagram account, at regen underscore skills, is the best place to see the projects that me and the team are working on, both for clients and collaborators, as well as on our own properties. I'll also be announcing the certification courses, workshops, and gatherings that we've got coming up later this year. If you're interested in getting dedicated support for your own project, you can now schedule a free planning session with one of our team members through the request form on our website. You can also find all the links, show notes, and past resources there at regenerativeskills.com. We truly believe that no matter your experience, your knowledge, abilities, resources, or background, you can be a powerful force for regeneration on this planet, and we're here to help you find your path. So as always, remember to keep taking those little steps every day towards a regenerative future, and I'll be right by your side along the way.